0: Hey, you miserable bitches.
1: It's Emily.
0: (laughs) And I'm Cody. And make sure you leave your manners at the door. Hola, cómo estás? Muy bien. Good. Sorry?
1: Right? No, you say bien.
0: Muy bien. ¿Y tú? Bien. Yeah.
1: Lo siento. I'm sorry. <laughs> ah, you know yeah, that one. I'm
0: bilingual. So, guys, we're back. We're back. And you know what? You're not gonna know this because we're you're not here. But we're actually recording this back to back with what Emily just uploaded. So. We're giving y'all a double whammy, a pow pow. Double because, dipping. Because you know why? When we go home from work, our day-to-day work, we go home and we do the research. Honestly, some on Facetime too. So oh it's like God. Work, after work. At work
1: after work. The Facetiming.
0: work after work. Because like I have to ask Emily's expertise all the time. I'm like, does this make sense? Can you look this up?
1: And then you try to get out of me. What I'm telling is my mm-hmm. story.
0: Because I like surprises, but also like if you t- like, of course, like I love surprises, right? Like surprise birthday parties, this, that, and the other. But you don't if like I like waiting for the surprise, but I, no, no, no. If I have any indication that there is a surprise, I don't like it.
1: So I'm saying you don't like the waiting part of it. So you don't oh, like yeah. knowing that there is no. one. Why do yeah. I have
0: my glasses on? Yeah, like I remember one time in middle or high school, I, my mom set up like a, you know, surprise birthday party for me and my sister, and we were at a basketball party the day of. It was gonna be that night. And the scroll was like, Hey, I'm having a hard time. I don't know if I'm gonna to go to your party or so and so's party. And I was like, I don't think I'm having a party. She was like, No, 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 I think your mom doesn't want you to know. And I was like,
1: What? A cunt.
0: And then everybody around me was like, Are you fucking kidding me? And so I knew going into that and I hated it. I was like, I need to know like what is planned, and no one would tell me and it freaking pissed me off. Like I did not like knowing that. Ugh. Was but, your
1: sister mad?
0: She wasn't there. And I didn't tell her.
1: Mm-hmm. So she but, got to be surprised?
0: She was surprised. But the surprise, dinner, <laughs> keep in mind I'm in high school so not out yet, was to go to Hooters. So I'm <laughs> like, bullshit. <laughs> and it was got, probably
1: your mom just trying to
0: confirm. No, you. it was my mom's like friend, like with all like my guy friends, we all went there. I was like, they got me, like, a calendar and shit. And I was like, oh, oh. lovely. <laughs> Can't wait to hang this up. <laughs> but, yeah, able uh, to say. Um, I was in one of those one time. Yeah. <laughs> really? With... <laughs> I ain't no. going to say the rest. but um, Oh,
1: because I don't have big boobs right now. It's okay.
0: No, but, um, yeah, we're going to do a double. Oh, and this Robert is...
1: Durst is still dead, by the way.
0: Hmm? I said Robert Durst still is still dead. dead. Yeah, I figured. Most. So, um, all right. So let me just, I'm going to get into this really quick because it is kind of a lengthy one. Um, if you guys remember, the last one that I did was the story of Chris Mayer and Holly Dunn. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was about the, the murder of Chris, obviously, and then Holly was the survivor. But um, I left it off with saying that her murderer, or his murderer was still on the loose right yes. so it actually ended up that he went on to do a bunch a bunch of a bunch of more killings and so this is a story of what all murders like his his home life his growing up his girlfriends and all that shit like where it all came from and then all the murders that he committed throughout that time
1: so do you think he committed like any murder before he with Chris? Like no, yeah. And I
0: have it the timeline oh. here. So he's like, Chris is like in the middle. And huh. I think in the last episode, I wasn't unsure. Or I wasn't sure like what uh-huh. timeline he fit in. But yeah, he was like kind of in the middle or like towards the beginning. Of
1: it. Oh, because he thought Holly was dead, huh?
0: Yeah, exactly. And she's the only known survivor uh-huh. of this whole thing. Of course, there could be more victims that haven't came out yet. But as of now, she's the only known survivor from this guy. Hmm. Yeah. So it's definitely a tough one. Um, Like I said, a lot of the details of, and I don't go into details of Holly's just because that's a whole story in itself. Um, So refer back to episode three if you want more on her case. So I will say there, this is a really tough one. There's a lot of brutality, obviously sexual assault, rape, and there is a lot of old people involved with this, which is not like a trigger warning, but like all people, like, near and dear to your heart. My parents of... are old. Right. So it's just, like, kind of hits home. You know? Yeah. People at the end of their life experience such horrible shit, so...
1: Wait, can I say something? So yeah, funny? of course. That's, like... <laughs> Sorry, you sound nope. annoyed.
0: No, I love <laughs> Okay.
1: No, because, like, I feel like if you're doing all this crazy stuff, you... He does it to men, women, older people. Yeah, yeah. That's even scarier. Oh,
0: so. yeah. Because, you know, like, being a true true crime fanatic usually these serial killers target one specific
1: that's why richard ramirez was so scary right yeah, they just do
0: yeah right. and there's a lot of shit in here that you're gonna be like what the fuck because uh-huh. you'll see you'll see so okay okay let, let me, me just give you some background story of him so we're gonna talk about what is known now as the railroad killer mm-hmm. um and he goes by the name of angel maturino resendez
1: That's a mouthful.
0: Yep. So I'm just going to refer to him either as Angel or Resendez, but mainly as Angel. He is not an angel. Mm -hmm. I have a feeling. Which is a funny fucking name that he's, we'll call him Devil. No. (laughs) So he was born August 1st, 1959 in Izacar de Maramoros, Puebla, Mexico.
1: Have you been taking Spanish lessons? Sure have. Uh
0: No, but he is a Leo.
1: Oh, what does that mean?
0: I don't know just threw that in there right before scorpio
1: (laughs) oh well scorpios are the best
0: yeah because we both are so there's not a ton about his childhood that i could find um but i was able to find a good amount of information about the victims which made me happy just because like i want to be able to tell their stories um they're not here to say it so it's like i felt good about the research that i had on them but as far Mm -hmm. as his childhood it was very limited um But what I was able to find, and a lot of this is based off the confessionals of his mother, his family members, his girlfriend at the time, which we'll get into, um, and even him uh, growing up. So um, at an early age, this starts off very strong. He was actually dropped on his head within Mm. three minutes of being born. Ah! Oh, my God. Dropped on his head. Slipped. You know, the nurse actually slipped, dropped him. He fell on his head. Oh, my and knocked God. knocked unconscious.
1: Was she fired?
0: Dunno. She <laughs> should be. <laughs> so, he was knocked unconscious. Um, his mother did confirm this. So, I'd imagine the head trauma would play a significant part in the destruction of what we're going to get into. Um, growing mm-hmm. up, when he was three years old, Angel fell off of a building <laughs> three stories and sustained severe injuries. I searched and searched and searched. I could not find why he was on the building, what building, where was anybody that was, like, guard- like watching over him. But he fell off and sustained even more head trauma. <sighs>
1: three is not his number.
0: No. So, oh, yeah, three minutes, three years. Yeah. So, at six years old, oh, three, six, mm? mm? no, he unexpectedly went to go live with his aunt and uncle because his mother got remarried. And I'm not sure what happened there. I don't know why he was sent off. Um, But a lot of people said he was spoiled there with his grandparents, had a great time. But then on the other hand, a lot of sources said that he was actually sexually assaulted when he was there as well. So again, none of this is confirmed. This is like hearsay within the community.
1: Was it him saying that? No, this is like people in the community. Okay.
0: Yeah. So he actually ran away when he was 11 years old and he went on a run and was like on the loose for a long time, you know making shelter here and there, and then he was attacked by a gang of kids that had bricks, <gasps> and they threw him at his head, and he was hurt so badly, he was found bleeding from his ears, his nose, and his mouth, which clearly indicated to the investigators that found him that he suffered yet another brain injury. So like if you're bleeding, bleeding from internally, it'll come out from, you know, those really? orifices, yeah. <gasps> um, so, Another. So what is that? strike? That's like strike three up until 11 years old. So three dramatic head traumas by the age of 11.
1: Isn't okay. your brain still grow- like growing? It's not even yeah. formed.
0: So it's like stunts. You uh. know? So um, at this point, he would come back and forth to his house. Like he would be gone for periods of time and then he would come back. But every time he came back, he would get more and more like scared and worried. And he would come back and he would talk about like the weirdest and craziest things. Like he would start talking about the apocalypse. He would get very Ugh. preachy, getting very aggressive, like religiously, like talking about like evil on people. Like we need to get rid of this. We need to get rid of that. The end of days and all that shit. So, um, his family reported that he was never aggressive physically, but he just, his mannerisms and like the way he carried himself was like very, um, what's the word? Like just, just, Aggressive. I
1: can't think of another
0: right, just like over the top.
1: Okay.
0: Like almost like make you feel uncomfortable, you know.
1: Like because he's talking about that kind of stuff. Just because he's just like his
0: presence, his presence, like like I said, never physically, just like very like over the top, like very passionate about what he's preaching, even though they know like this shit's fucking like fucked up, right? Yeah. Um. So later in his early teens, when he was running away, he crossed the border of Mexico and came into the United States for the first time. And he was finding farms that would hire undocumented workers for mm-hmm. on their labor farms. Mm-hmm. And he would continue to cross back and forth from Mexico into the States, which is very impressive. Like, hello? That's amazing. He would just hop on a train, go back to Mexico, wow. spend time with his family, hop back on, go back to the States, make his money, bring him back to his family.
1: And he's, like, young, right?
0: Yeah, so he was at age 16. So, at age 16, he was apprehended trying to cross into the Brownsville, Texas area. And that's in 1976. And he was sent right back to Mexico. Okay. So, they said, nope, get back. Now, obviously, this kind of put him on the radar. So, he started using um, different train routes to get around. Okay. So, like, more of, like, the not prominent ones. Like, you know, there's, like, more of, like, the smaller train tracks that would go into, like, smaller cities. Not the large cities. So, he was starting using those to get around. Um, cause at that time he would just like jump on it and get going. Yeah. Um, in 1979, he came back into the U S and, and was convicted of grand theft auto in Tampa, Florida. Florida. So he started to kind of rack up his rap sheet. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: In June, 1979 of that same year, he broke into a Florida home and an 88 year old man was there no. and the 88 year old man tried to fend himself, but Rosendez beat him unconscious and went away in the man's car. Luckily, the man did live, but unfortunately, he passed away shortly after from the uh, trauma from the incident. Now, mm-hmm. there's no reports that he did die um, directly related, but the, the stuff that Resendez did to him definitely played a huge part in why he was, you know, the, the trauma that he was already dealing with being at 88 years old. So it was kind of just like a given, like, obviously, this didn't help him any, right?
1: Well, yeah, it's not like he was, it's not like uh, Angel was, like, having to defend himself off from this 88-year-old man. I'm sure he was, I mean, I don't, you don't know, but
0: yeah, that's disgusting. Horrible. And in April of 1980, he was caught and sent to prison for 20 years. But in 1985, five years later, only five years after serving the time, he was released on parole. And so he was just deported back to Mexico. Oh my God. Right. And then in and then 1986, he was right back in Texas and he was starting at this point to be again super religious and not in the good kind, which <laughs> again, because he kind of straight away, when he was doing it from the beginning, came back into it. And now he was starting to preach in the streets how people did not deserve to live. Very hateful speeches. He would walk up and down the streets. He would knock on people's doors, just preaching them oh about my hate. God. He was very judgy. And he thought he was above all. Um, Sounds
1: like Regina George.
0: The, yeah, the (laughs) Regina George of murderers. (laughs) Um, He also had this weird thing that he believed he was sent here from God to rid the world of people who do not belong. Is it because his name is Angel? That might be it, honestly. Okay. Trash, complete trash. So, this is where we get into his first death victim. So, to this day, this victim rena- remains unnamed. Mm. They met at a homeless shelter, and they went on a motorcycle ride together. They went to an abandoned farmhouse to do some target practice with a gun that Rosendez Re- had. This was a very young woman. She was beautiful. Things were going great at first. He later said in his confession when he got caught, uh, Yeah, she disrespected me, so I just shot her four times in the back of the head with a thirty-eight caliber gun.
1: No, she didn't. She was an easy target. No one was going to miss her.
0: But even if she did, does that warrant you to just kill her, take her life? Um, So he just ended up leaving her body in that farmhouse. Um, So. Okay. Yeah. So he ended up leaving her body in the farmhouse and he goes to find her boyfriend because she did have a boyfriend at the time and he killed the boyfriend as well. And to because this day, she
1: would miss him. Yeah. He
0: would miss her. Right. And to this day, that body has never, ever, ever been found. Angel did say in his confession that he dumped the body into a creek somewhere between Uvalde and San Antonio. Do you know where Uvalde is? Have you mm-hmm. ever heard of the Frio River?
1: Yeah.
0: Um, that's where it is in San Antonio. So maybe like a two-hour gap. That river's so long. Um, Is
1: that where people float? Yeah, the Freer River. That is disgusting.
0: Um, And he also said his motive was that they were very evil people that practiced black magic. And he could tell it from the moment that he laid eyes on them.
1: Okay, Angel.
0: Right. So, eventually, he does this. He jumps back on a freight train and goes back to Mexico. Because shortly after the killings, he was caught falsifying information. In 1988, he goes back to the States, just floating around, trying to get any work that he could get just have some money. Um, for a while, he tried to fly under the radar. But in November of that same year, he tried to apply for a Social Security card under false information. And boom, prison again and deported back to Mexico. Prison <sighs> for just a short time and then deported back to Mexico. He
1: is busy. But
0: at this point, like he, this keeps happening. Prison for a short time, then deported. Like I don't really think he's reprimanded. You know,
1: it's clearly not working. It's not
0: working. <laughs> so July 19th, 1991 in San Antonio, this is when he met Michael White. Okay. Now, I tried a shit ton to figure out information about their you know, relationship and like how they met, and I don't know a ton about Michael okay. White. All I know is that Angel said in his confession that he ended up in an abandoned house with Michael, and he beat Michael to death with a brick and left him there. In his confession, he said, they asked him why he did that. And he said, oh, I thought he was gay.
1: Wow. Yeah.
0: And he, and he did go on to mention, he was like, Michael is a great guy. I just got a sense that he was gay and I don't like that. So, I'm a, I, so he beat him with a brick and killed him. Okay. Right.
1: Do you think that he was homeless too?
0: No, I don't. I think, so some sources say that Michael was trying to do like, con, like hire him as like contract work. Okay, because like I'm like, like, why
1: would they go to an abandoned?
0: But maybe it was, like, to restore okay. that, the property. Okay. Um, But then some sources say, like, was he intrigued? Like, was it, like, a gay hookup almost? And then he felt guilty about what happened and then killed him? I don't know. There's a lot of sources. It's but he didn't even
1: confirm it. He was just like, I had this inkling, so. That he
0: was gay. So, he just did it. Wow. So... um. Later, he drew a map in his confession to the crime scene. And that's how they were able to find him. Because for a while, he went missing.
1: Wow. So this was like several years later.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah.
1: Wow. So see, that makes me more so believe people that confess like that. Because I didn't mean to interrupt you. But Mm -hmm. it's like they're giving you real information because they want the credit. So they're going to give you the right.
0: At this point, they're like, I'm caught. Let's just do it for all it's worth, you know?
1: Well, some never open their
0: mouths. Right. Well, you'll see he did not care to not open his mouth. Like, he was going to well, give you everything you wanted. So shortly after that, Angel, you name, you guessed it. He went right back to Mexico, and he started teaching English classes, like tutoring at a local school. Because he's going back and forth from the U.S. to Mexico. Like, he was picking up on the language very well, and he was very fluent. Um, so he started making money. In Mexico as well, teaching students how to speak English. Oh my God! Right, um, and for a while, um, people thought he was actually set, settling down. He met a girl named Julieta, Julieta Dominguez, um, and he told her he was like, "Yeah, I'm going to be traveling to the U.S. for work, but I will definitely send money back to you, you know, as needed, and I will check on you, mm-hmm. you know, here and there." Um, Julieta even said there was no indication that he was a violent person and she even stated multiple times in confessions that he was very calm, friendly, chill um around his family in Mexico. An
1: so, Angel some might say. Huh?
0: Nothing. You're trying to Yeah, of course. So, but she did say, you know what? From time to time he did start to preach to her. And okay. at first it didn't come from an evil place, but it slowly progressed more and more into like more of like a again a hate speech. And she started to get worried that he was part of a hate group in the U.S. She had never been to the U.S. before. So she was like, oh, my God, he's involved in this hate group in the U.S. But she just ignored it, um, even though it ignored her. She was like, you know, out of sight, out of mind. Like, I just don't want to add fuel to the fire. Oh, my God. So in March 21st, 1997, in Baldwin, Florida, near a railroad track, hence why he has his name, he saw a newly engaged couple, 19-year-old Jesse Howell and 16-year-old Wendy mm-hmm. Von Hu. Who- Van. Sorry. Wendy Von Wendy Von Huvan. Oh. They were runaways from Woodstock, Illinois. And he noticed them because they were holding a book related to the occult, is what he said. Oh no. It was Harry Potter. Him. No. They didn't I mean there's no indication, but you know, he had a all these you know, so and so did black magic. Yeah. He said he noticed them because they had a book from the occult.
1: I wonder if he's like so- would that be like something like schizophrenic, like that you were seeing? Well,
0: that we're gonna mention that okay. too later. <laughs> you're on the right track, honey. So he The went,
1: railroad track.
0: Right. So he went right up to them and started talking to them like they were bells.
1: Okay. He was like, Hey,
0: what's going on? Where are you? Where are you traveling to? And they mentioned to him that they were running away from home and they were looking to get some work to make some money so that they didn't have to go back to their hometown. So he was like, Hey, if you're looking for work... You know, I have a job that I'm going to in Florida if you want to join. So, obviously, this, like, young couple was like, yeah, absolutely, I'll go. Mm -hmm. It sounds like a great opportunity. So, they hopped on the train with him, and off they went. So, the train made a stop in Bellevue.
1: I know that.
0: Bellevue, you do? No, not Texas. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) You're thinking of Mont Bellevue, right?
1: Yeah, I've never been there, but I've heard of it.
0: So, they made a stop there, and Jesse and Angel actually got off the train just to take a break, and Wendy stayed on the train. Oh, no. So, they were walking, they were chatting, and Angel was a little bit behind uh, Jesse. Oh, God. So, um, once he caught up to him, he hit him upside the head with an air hose coupling from a piece of the railway equipment. All they said it took was just, like, a couple of blows to the head, and he was dead.
1: Well, I'm assuming it would be super heavy, but... I'm imagining something really big, but I don't even know what an ice pick is,
0: so. Right. So, I think it's, like, well, I don't even know. We'll have to Google it. Okay. But something big enough to fucking knock the shit out of him and leave him dead. Oh, my God. So, right after he did that, he got back on the train without Jesse, and Wendy was, like, wait, what? You know, what's going on? The train's huge. He was, like, oh, no, he's up there, you know, doing whatever. Oh. So, um, so when he got on it, the next stop was Sumter County, Florida, and they got off in Angel took Wendy off and tied her up immediately, raped her, strangled her, and suffocated her to death with duct tape around her mouth. Her whole face was duct oh. taped.
1: Um
0: oh. then he covered her in a blanket and left her in a shallow grave right along this uh, the side of the railroad track and jumped right back on the train. Wow. Now I know it sounds like like I'm saying like these like details like I was there, but literally keep in mind this is everything that Angel said in his confession, like he had no remorse, like it- it was easy for him to say like, oh yeah, I did this, I did this.
1: That makes sense. Isn't that weird that he covered her up and wrapped her up and he did that to Holly, but he didn't do it to Chris?
0: Yeah. Oh, well, you'll see he does it to, I think it's like a female thing for him. Which also shows that maybe he felt remorse, but we'll get in that as well.
1: Ugh, I hate him.
0: I know, it's horrible. So July 1997, this happened like really quick. So one after the other, basically, he was like on a doom, doom, doom. In Cutling, California, a man named Robert Castro was at a railway, railway yard and he was all alone. He was like kind of monitoring it, working it. And Angel arrived that night on the train. They saw each other, they met, they talked. And according to Angel's confession again, he waited till Castro turned around. Then he beat him upside the head with a piece of wood that he found on the ground, just like laying right next to him.
1: Wow. They're all, like, blitz attacks, I guess. Dude, is that what it's called when you just come up? Right.
0: And- well, his weapon of choice is of convenience. Like, whatever's uh, around him, which, like, creeps me out because, that's like... scary. He goes into this knowing how powerful he is. It's like, I can go up to this guy and kill him just give him what's around me, you know? Like, most people go in, like, you know, have a gun, have this, have that. No. He just uses whatever's convenient around him, which is terrifying. Um, mm. So, this guy's fucking bonk Bonkers. So July, or sorry, August 29th, 1997, one month after the last killing, um, if this date rings a bell, I'm referring to Holly Dunn and Chris Meyer's episode. So this is where Chris's death comes into play. Uh, And for those of you that are just listening to this, if you look back back on two episodes, episodes, episode three, um, we talked more into this detail, but just like a brief overview, uh, Chris Meyer was 21 years old. He was killed, and his girlfriend at the time was raped, beaten, and Angel attacked them while they were both walking outside of a party near a railroad track. He tied them both both up to a or tied them both up and dropped them uh, near a ditch and dropped a fifty pound rock on Chris's head to kill him. Mm-hmm. So just refer to the last episode if you want more details on this, but I just added this short snippet so that you could figure out where that episode right. came into play with the timeline.
1: And now he's raping. He wasn't doing that before, right?
0: Well, this is the first girl victim.
1: No, he killed Wendy.
0: Oh no! Well, he raped her too.
1: Oh, he did. Oh, yeah. he did. Yeah, yeah, okay, he did. That. Sorry. Okay. Yeah, he did. Ugh. Oh yeah, my god.
0: Died. I know. So it's couples.
1: He doesn't have a weapon, and then he has and it couples. Yeah. He's one person. Right. That's
0: scary. Well, it's gonna get worse. So after this attack, he jumped back on the train. Which is exactly what Holly said in her confessional. Remember? Well, he thought she was dead. He yeah. jumped on the train. She could see that. Um, and so he waited for a while for his next attack. Um, there's a lot of sources that have opinions about this because between Holly and Chris until his next one was a extended period of time. Like, what do you think? Like, why do you think that was?
1: Do you think that he saw on
0: the news that Holly survived? So that's one thing. But a lot of people are guessing because if you remember in Holly's story, Mm -hmm. she tried to humanize herself. And that's like the first person that actually got the time to like not build a relationship, but, you know, had the time to humanize themselves. So a lot of people think that that triggered him like kind of, you know, hit home.
1: We don't know. Wendy might have said something to him.
0: But it was so quick. You know, That's hers right. was over yeah. a certain period of time. and
1: Theirs was, yeah. yeah. It was like a whole night and he had a backpack and, yeah.
0: Yeah. So, um, I know there's a lot of speculation of like why he did it, but obviously it's not confirmed. But there was a period Ugh. of time between Chris and the next victim. So, I like I said, that. he went back to Mexico, spent some time there with his family and he worked. Um, this is 1997 and it won't be until October 2nd, 1998. So, over a year wow. that he strikes again. And this is in Hughes Springs, Texas. He stepped off of a train that evening and stopped the neighborhood of his next victim. So, now he's getting to the point where he's hopping off trains and he's going to start walking into homes.
1: Well, yeah, because before it's like a railway yard. Right, and there's like and someone the woods hanging out. And They're like, oh my God, this is like Golden State killer right. shit now.
0: Right, so... The neighborhood was right next to the railway, so he could just go in, attack, and leave. So he found a red brick home, and he said again in his confession that it just radiated evil, and he felt like he should just go attack. So he snuck in through an open window in the back of the home, and inside was Leafy Mason. I'm sorry, what? Leafy. Which I think it's so cute.
1: I knew You would like that. you probably name your other kid Branchy or Sticky or something.
0: Leafy Mason. She was 87 years old. Now, Leafy, she was 87. And she was fucking destroyed by this poop of earth (laughs) man. Like, and the people in the neighborhood talked about her. Like, she was like, they would say that she was like, it's like kind of stern woman like someone who was like very opinionated uh-huh. she was strong willed she was very thoughtful though but she like was like kind of like the character of the neighborhood like you never knew what you was going to get a lot of people said that she was very feisty oh that reminds me
1: of our na- my neighbor at my house
0: right so um but at the same time she would always share her pies with the neighbor so she was in one to like walk around and like give her pies it was very small town close-knit she
1: sounds great neighborhood
0: yeah so, and her father was actually the sheriff deputy, but he was killed in 1919 by a train accident. What? Which is kind of ironic. And then her mother died shortly after, and she was left with just her two sisters. So she kind of had to be like the support system for them.
1: So that's probably why she was like that.
0: She yeah. Didn't... Of course. Okay. Um, her neighbors even mentioned that they bet she woke up and tried to fight off the attacker because knowing her, Leafy would not go out without a fight.
1: Can we just talk about that for a second? Like yeah. waking up. Sorry, I interrupt a lot, but no, um, you're fine. I try to put myself there.
0: Oh my god. Because yeah.
1: we kind of breeze over stuff sometimes, and I do it my stories because I'm I've already relished in it, right? Right. But like listening to this, it's like I'm in my bed and someone is there.
0: Oh my god! My like god. I, I, you don't even have time to like reconcile I, like what is going on.
1: If there was a man in my house, I mean, and you're dead asleep. Would be terrified.
0: Yeah. Especially an 87-year-old woman who probably can't see the best. Can't walk the best. Not strong. Yeah. I
1: mean, if he was cute, maybe. Because,
0: <laughs> I, But, like... You're like, hey.
1: That is...
0: That's something. So, yeah. So, definitely, based on her, like, stature and the way she acted, the neighbors were like, oh, no. She did not go out without a bang. So, unfortunately, she was found beaten to death on the floor on her bedroom, She had been beaten to death by her own antique iron. Oh, um, God. Those are
1: heavy. That
0: he found while in the house. After he killed her, he admitted that he ate some food from her fridge, went through her stuff, took what he wanted, and he left. And a lot of reports say that he would go through, like, their wallets, their pictures. He wanted to know in-depth detail about the people that—because it would, like, gratify him. Like, he felt good knowing, like, okay, she was this age. She had this many sisters. Like, it felt good for him to know that he— took power and, like, but killed. he
1: said the house radiated evil. Evil. And then mm-hmm. when he got in there and he went through all this stuff, what was so evil about it?
0: Right. Well, I mean, that's, that's oh, his, he's... like, crazy religion that he was obsessed with. So a neighbor who was supposed to give Leafy a ride to the nursing home to see her sister the next day was the one who sadly reported Stop. it when she didn't answer the door. She immediately knew something was wrong because she told police chief Randy Kennedy that Leafy was very timely and she was not one of the person not one of the people to keep you waiting. Mm-hmm. And she mentioned Leafy would be so annoyed when people did not respect punctuality, which being in cells, hallelujah. You know, people in meetings these days are just I not told punctual. you
1: I <laughs> have that book that has all of the stuff. I would never leave on whatever without these certain things.
0: Yeah. So she said that she often brought Leafy to see her sister, and every time she did, she was up, she was stressed, she was ready to go. So the fact that Leafy was not coming to the door, she knew something was wrong. So Chief Kennedy arrived on the scene on October 2nd to check things out. He later told the Houston press, because this city was like a suburb of Houston. Mm -hmm. He told the Houston press... She was so nice to me. Leafy would bring me a glass of iced tea or lemonade when I was working. And later I found out he apparently mowed her lawn when he was younger. Oh my um, God. She hired him to just make some extra cash. He said Leafy had a reputation of being very demanding and outspoken, but I really liked her. She was a great person.
1: And he
0: was the one that found... Like, yeah. Oh. And in the same article, there was a source from the nursing home where her sister stayed. And they said that Leafy was her, her sister's life. Every day, promptly at 2 p.m. in the afternoon, Leafy would bring and visit her sister, Birdie. So, Leafy and Birdie. So cute.
1: love the name Birdie. I'm going to start crying. This is I know. She
0: would always cook something for her sister, and she would sit down and talk with her for hours. They would sing songs together that were popular in the 40s. They even mentioned that Leafy would stop by their office every single day that she would leave, and she would drop off her latest recipe that she loved, or a copy of a poem that she had written recently. So, they were like, despite her, you know outspoken, demanding, stern demeanor, she had an amazing heart and she cared a lot about people. She just kind of had a hard exterior. Um, Unfortunately, this case went cold for a while because the killer jumped on a train and booked it to wherever. So initially they actually pinned this case on somebody. Um, They thought because the, um, the murder was so brutal because she had, you know, a lot of people like lash out in anger They were like, this has to be somebody that they know. So they pinned it on somebody. And I'm not going to say his name because those charges were taken away from him. Um, But they were like, no, this has to be somebody that is angry with her. Like, someone that does not like her. And given her, you know, demeanor that people know, they're like, this might make sense, right? Um, Her house was only 50 yards away from the Kansas City Southern Railway. So like I said, he left on the train. I thought she was in Houston. Well... Well, the Kansas... It runs uh, very long. Yeah, trains. Okay. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, it runs from multiple states. So, yeah. Um, and then off to Mexico he went. So, on December 11th, he was trying to get back to Florida. And he got on the wrong train. And he ended up in Carl, Georgia. Mm-hmm. When he ended up there, he just went with it. He started to stalk the neighborhoods. And while creeping, he saw Fanny Byards, who was 81. And she was working in her garden in her front yard. Fanny's neighbor... Patty, no Sarah, later said that Fanny was oftentimes in her front yard, but she was never really alone given her age. There was always people visiting her or around her or helping her within her house or in her yard. The neighbor said that this incident just happened to occur one of the few times that Fanny was alone. Angel somehow snuck into the back of her home without her knowing and he came to her house. He killed her with a single blow to the head. They later said that, you know, she was so old that it didn't take much just kind of knock her out Um, Mm -hmm. she was found bludgeoned to death on her floor and her neighbor it was her neighbor who called because she was scared when she didn't answer the phone or the door again I'll repeat she was never alone and this fucking demon of a person snuck into her house and killed her Um, I
1: love that name too that's one of my names this
0: this 81 year old lady just working in her front yard tending to her garden in her front yard so sad
1: so he was watching
0: her yeah like, oh. And no evidence was left. It was just one, boom, and she was dead. So no char- So the charges again were actually put on another person, Jeez. Uh, and dropped later again. So Angel later provided information that he did it. He admitted to it, um, and they had no reasoning to believe that it, you know, was somebody else. I try to figure out why they pinned it on somebody else. Like what would cause them to think that it was somebody mm-hmm. else? I couldn't find much on it because the case was dropped. Right. Um, But I don't know. So he got back on the train, traveled southwest for some time, and ended up in South University Place, Houston. Or, sorry, West University Place, Houston, which my Houstonians on here, that's basically the Galleria area, West U. So this was on December 17th, 1998. The next murder occurred, which this one's horrible. So down the street from the railroad track, this is where a doctor named Claudia Benton was home alone. Her husband and two twin daughters were out, on the, were out of town in Arizona. They had just left. She mm-hmm. couldn't join them because she was preparing for a speech the next day. She was a pediatric oncologist at Baylor College of Medicine, and she was up late that night. Like I said, she was preparing for this huge presentation that she had coming up. Her home was near the Union Pacific, Pacific Railroad, and that night he watched through her window for several hours until she went to sleep. This is when he snuck in and found these statues in her house that he later said were demonic. Oh, my God. Didn't face him that much, he said. He And then like he my apartment. went digging through more of her articles and saw medical medical publications that she mm-hmm. had and said, Oh, no, no, no. This lady performs experiments on fetuses and illegal <laughs> abort- abortion, so she needs to go. She's evil. So he attacked her while she was asleep in bed. And based on the autopsy, they said she gave up a fucking good fight. Like, some investiga- investigators even said that she probably was close to getting away. But, you know, a man and a woman, she was trying to get away. Didn't really work out. But he ended up raping her, stabbing her with a kitchen knife in her hands and back. So the hands means that, you know, she was doing self-defense. Um, her back... And stabbed her in the back and beat her with one of the demonic statues that was bronze and stood two feet tall. So heavy and huge. He hit her 19 times with it. Mm. He also left her head partially in a plastic bag. And she had broken arms from the attack and had many broken bones in her face from the attack. So they said that once she was dead, he kept slamming it in her face.
1: Which makes sense. I mean, the plastic bag, he was probably trying to subdue her to make mm-hmm. it easier. Right. And then he got pissed off. Right, because cause she, she, was she was putting up a good
0: fight. hmm So he's like, here, take that. Yada, yada, yada. So she had, her, like, her face was completely sunken in. Oh, so, my God. So then he ransacked her home, stole a guitar, a banjo, jewelry, pieces of ivory, and he also broke all of her art and statues in the house.
1: And you know, like, he probably went in, like, her kids' rooms.
0: Yeah. Oh, my God. He toured the whole house. Then he made snacks with her food, ate it, sat down at the table, and then stole her red Jeep Cherokee. <gasps> Which, I'm like, wait a second, you stole a guitar, a banjo? Did you just carry those on the train with you? Like, you, well, you he said just... he
1: stole the car. Well, he stole
0: the car, but I'm saying, like, he's traveling with a lot of shit, right? Like you'll see, like he keeps like collecting all these items from people. And why would
1: you take a red car?
0: Right. Well, this is the first car that he actually sold because usually he would just jump back on the Oh well, No,
1: but that's pretty out. That's pretty like. <laughs> uh, flashy. Yeah.
0: So not shortly after, the police come home and find the fingerprints of him everywhere. Which finally because. On The other murder cases they were not able to find any uh-huh. evidence. So the fingerprints matched the ones on her jeep that were later found in San Antonio Motel. So he apparently on December 18th dropped that the Jeep Grand Cherokee off at a hotel in San Antonio and hopped on the train tracks right next to that motel.
1: Maybe he had a case for the guitars and banjo,
0: mm-hmm. so like had him
1: on his back, like a crossbody type deal.
0: Yeah, probably. Debbie Benningfield, who is the deputy administrator of the latent print section of Houston Police Department, she took the prints that were on the steering wheel of Claudius' mm-hmm. jeeps, and she put them into the Texas Department of Public Safety's automated fingerprint identification system, which is APHIS. Yep. Have you ever heard of that? Yep. <laughs> um, okay, so then on December 26th, the day after Christmas, 1998, they got a match.
1: Thank God. A Christmas
0: miracle, the day after. <laughs> It was apparently matching Carlos Rodriguez, though, to who had been arrested in Carson County, Texas, in 1993.
1: Was that when he tried to file for the fake? Security? Well,
0: this is one of his aliases. So every time he got caught, he gave them a the fake aliases, oh which they god. come to find out later he had like tens, twenty different aliases that he would oh use. Oh my god! Right. So um, they took the original fingerprints they had taken from Angel when he was arrested in 1993 and, you know, said it was Carlos Rodriguez. Now, they had the original prints, and they wanted to just make sure that this was really his name, so, and if he was connected to any of the other crimes that okay. they suspected him of. So, on December 28, 1998, they had the Texas Department of Public Safety put the prints into the Western Identification Network to search of any other matches. So, while this was happening, the California APHIS database was like, oh, hey, we have a match for all of those. Angel mm-hmm. has been arrested on August 15th, 1995 in San Bernardino for trespassing on the railroad property for having a loaded gun on him and something related to theft. Okay. So on December 19th, the original prints, so the orig- there's a lot of print work going on here, so this okay. is like where it got really difficult for me. On December 19th, the original prints that they first took mm-hmm. were sent to the FBI, Criminal Justice Information Services Division to see if they can come up See if they came up into the NCIC database and on January fifth, nineteen ninety five, it was a hit. Okay. Um, and they finally saw this long C V S receipt of records. So okay. they finally tied Angel to all these aliases and it finally he had a huge rapport of everything he had done. So That CV, makes sense. A huge C V S receipt of everything he'd ever done.
1: Yeah, because they went by state, and then right. they went national. Right, and he time. had all these
0: fucking names, but finally the DNA linked him to all of them.
1: Okay, that makes sense.
0: Yeah, so on January 5th, 1996, the Harris County District Attorney's Office told police that instead of going directly after the murder charges for Claudia Benton, they should just get him on burglary at home charges because they could deaf get that information on him, like def get that, yeah. definitely get that tied to him, but they just wanted to make sure they had concrete evidence so of a him. murder. Right. So, cause they just wanted to make, yeah, once they had him, they just want to make sure once we have him, we're good. So a warrant for burglary was issued on January 5th and it was entered to the NCIC and it, and it made sense because I mean, there was overkill in all these scenes. There was weapons of convenience. There were all no railroads. So it just made sense that they were all connecting every single thing from all these cases together as one. That was a lot. That was kind of over my head, but did it follow well? Yeah. Okay, good. Because <laughs> I was like, oh my God, this doesn't really make sense to me. But so now back in Mexico, if you remember his pal gal, Julieta. Oh, she yeah. She became pregnant with their first child. And it was March 1999, the same year. Um, and then he had his daughter, Liria, which is like, a beautiful name, uh, right? It,
1: it means lyrics.
0: So in according to Julieta, he was an amazing father. He was super lovable. He was there. Lyria loved him um, hmm. Right So she's like Oh my god Everything's great But then two months After her birth He went back to the United States And he ended up In Weimar, Texas Which is apparently A very 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 Small town
1: I feel like I've heard of it
0: Yeah I do too The people feel Very safe there The residents said In confessions That it's a place Where everyone knows everyone No one locks their doors It's small It's safe Everyone looks after each other Everyone is smiling It kind of sounds like Whoville
1: well, wasn't there someone named Hoob and Hoovenho,
0: or Van Ho? Oh yeah, For Wendy. Oh yes, my God, there's a couple. But on May second, nineteen ninety nine, that, that's
1: my friend Kelly's birthday. Well,
0: <laughs> that's not a good date, according to this. Um, that happy go lucky place turned into a very fucking dark place. Um, Angel arrived there, hopped off a train, and right when he hopped off, he said in his confession, he noticed the United Church of Christ that was on Main Street in Weimar. Okay. And it was very intriguing to him because he said it radiated evil.
1: Oh, Lordy.
0: Um, And just to give you some preface, Weimar had 13 churches, and so it worked out that one church could house 150 residents. So this was a very religious town. Okay. So he rolled up in there. He did not like the look of it, and he saw the parsonage, which is, like, near the church, like a little bit outside of the church. Um, I think it's, like, where, you know how, like, sometimes, like, the preacher and the wife will live, like, on the church grounds sometimes? I think it's called the parsonage. But that's, that's what weird. he first noticed. So he walked up there, and he saw 46-year-old Norman Skip Cernick and his wife Karen Cernick, who was 47 at the time. Norman was the reverend of the church, but he never wanted to be called reverend. He wanted to just be called Skip. When he first started there, he was very unconventional and people had a lot of hesitations. They were very old school, but Mm -hmm. people quickly fell in love with him in the church. He would joke, he would laugh, he would sing during sermons. He would even bring kids up in front of the church and have them take part in like what he was doing. Um, A lot of members of the church in their confessions said that he was great with children. It just made everybody feel like they were at home. Um, Members of the church also said that Skip made church fun. You know, a lot of people are like, oh, church is boring, I don't want to go. But they're like, no, Skip like made it fun, like almost like an event, like a play. Um, so they enjoyed going to church. Um, there was also an article in the Texas Monthly about Skip. Um, Skip's father told um, a story about what Skip told his father. He said, um, when I first entered Weimer, um, it was hard for me to settle down. He loved the church, though, and he loved the people. And eventually, he felt like he was right where he was supposed to be. His father said, "Skip said other towns had put him up on a pedestal, but Weimer, he could go to picnics, he could chase the kids around, he would play sports, he even had a beer if he wanted. He loved beer, mm-hmm. and he felt like this is where I want to be. Like I feel finally out of all the churches because you know they move you around. He's like this. I feel very Evil, good being. Equal, I town. guess. Yeah, just like parishioners or whatever. Okay. Right. I just he just felt like you know I'm one of the." you know, okay. congregation, basically. So there's a church member named Kelly. Um, she said he was family. at picnic skip was always the one who would slip plastic bugs into the ice cubes and then put someone's tea in it. And he would also fill water balloons up with water and throw them at people. He was a gifted thespian in high school and college, and he was a total character who organized church plays and made everything so much fun. And he loved playing the villain. So this sounds just like a... Well round, well well rounded, just like lovely person to be around, right?
1: Can you say well rounded railroad? Well,
0: well rounded railroad, can you? I just did. Say it again fast.
1: Well rounded railroad. Mm. I could have
0: done better. Turn right twisty. Now. So his wife Karen, which God, Karen's such a horrible name to have nowadays. I know. <laughs> I'm like not the Karen.
1: I literally have a shirt that says I'm a Karen, but it's like karen Kilgariff, mm. karen and i literally the other day i was like
0: that's the only karen that's appropriate
1: i i can't go out in public in this no yeah. well but i think i gave it away <laughs> because i was like people don't know what this is right
0: oh yeah because they might be like well damn she's admitting to it Fuck yeah her. but no his wife name was karen like i said and she was a biochemist oh when they met um she said that Members of the church said that she was so compassionate. Like, that was, like, her number one attribute. Um, she even started a group at the church called Caregivers. Um, and she wanted to make sure that every single person that was in need had someone in the congregation that would check on them regularly. And anything that they needed, they would get. Okay. So whether it would be groceries, a prayer, you know, bring their kids to school. Like, and yeah. it was unspoken. Like, no one talked about it. It was just very, you know, if you need this, we got you. Yeah, like so the deeds you don't
1: need to, like... Right advertise it exactly nice
0: and so she started that it was going well and then skip also started to be a marriage counselor and all basically all the members said that literally everybody went up to him for advice because for the first time they felt like it wasn't a counselor just trying to give them outside advice he gave them advice that was geared towards them and it was coming from somebody who actually knew them who cared about them so basically all the congregation was like you know, this yeah. is finally working. Like we love it because apparently, like in the past, some of the preachers or reference that they had was not ideal with what they were looking for. So Skip knew everything about everybody. So mm-hmm. he had he had all the tea.
1: Yeah, he had all the tea. But he didn't like do bad with it. He helped no, people. Okay. He did not.
0: So again, residents said that Karen was a light, um, and they even said, "I'm I no, I'm going in." A lot of detail about these two but like just to show you like how much it meant to this town and how detrimental it was that's why i'm trying to harp on this um a lot of members and residents of the town said that when kip and karen first came into town karen immediately on her first day began planting flowers everywhere around town all around buildings sidewalks schools parks she wanted flowers she wanted it to be gorgeous she even had a huge vegetable garden at the church that she would share vegetables with people in the town And her and Skip were constantly working on it together when they weren't at the church. Ah. Um, And like I said, they lived directly behind the church. And that, unfortunately, is how Angel came across him because he was so intrigued by the, quote, evil church. So that Sunday, they did not show up for church. And people were immediately confused. They were worried because it was not like them to be late and not show up.
1: It's like their job. (laughs)
0: Right, exactly. They're, like, all sitting here. So, but it actually, a lot of people said that it was a huge turnout that Sunday. Like, close to the whole congregation showed up that Sunday. Um, Luckily, his assistant, Reverend, began to start the sermon for him. But as he was going on, he could see that people were a little bit worried. Like, where are they? Like, this is not like them at all. So, president of the congregation, Ted Neely, excused himself, and he went over to check check on them behind their house. Because he said... When he entered the church, he had, like, a deep feeling that something was wrong. And that's when he found them both dead in their home. Mm, He came back to the church and immediately announced that the entire congregation needed to leave. Something terrible had happened, and someone needs to call the police immediately. When the police arrived, they saw that the home had been ransacked, and next next they found Skip and Karen. Mm. Their heads had been crushed with a sledgehammer while they slept. The sledgehammer was still leaning against the covered wall with blood when the police got there. Karen was sexually assaulted after she was murdered. The bodies were covered with blankets and the couple's truck was not in the garage. But soon that same truck turned up in San Antonio just like Claudia Benton three weeks later. Before Angel had left, he stole their VCR, a video camera, and this double murder got lots and lots and lots of attention. It was suddenly linked to Claudia Benson's case, because it was both found in San Antonio. Um, the DNA that was found on her truck matched the same that was found in their truck. So it was a match. Um,
1: I'm guessing he's bringing all this stuff home.
0: Oh yeah, and you'll see what, you'll see later. I'm gonna mention that. So, um, so they started to try to link this to other cases, and this is when Chris Mayer and Holly's attack got linked to Angel Resendez as well. Okay. So, and this is because Holly's rape kit, if you remember in the last episode that I said, her rape kit tested against the DNA they had found, but then later matched to Angel Resendez. Right. Because
1: they had test. Right. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Yep. So now there's four people connected to Angel. So June 1st, 1999, he was arrested, but not for those crimes. He was arrested in New Mexico, and immigration authorities came up with nothing when they ran his name that, they gave, that he gave them. Um, and this was also not linked to any law enforcement agency, so he was released and just sent back to Mexico. So that didn't stop him. Again, he had a shit ton of aliases. So June 4th, 1999, three days later, in Schulenburg, Texas, he killed Josephine Convica, who was 73 years old, and a widowed grandmother of six. He killed her in her home when she had lived... She had lived there since she was born. Oh, my. And get this. He was... She was only a mile... Or, uh... Wait. A mile from the railroad, but only 3.5 miles from Skip and Karen. <gasps> so, the freaking community felt like keep in mind this community was like happy-go-lucky you know like they were like oh my god everything's peachy like again whoville right what could go wrong and then they have these three murders okay it's
1: like he does the hard ones and then he goes and kills yeah elderly people like i wonder if it's like for the money or if it's easy yeah well that's what i'm saying like it's easy so then he can get money or whatever oh my god this is disgusting
0: So, he killed Josephine while she was sleeping and beat her head in with a grubbing hoe. The
1: fuck is that?
0: He left it embedded in her head.
1: (gasps) I know what those are. They're the three-clawed ones.
0: Yeah, so it's like when you, like, dig up soil. Oh,
1: my
0: God. Oh, sorry. You just asked what that was.
1: No, I said I think I know.
0: Yeah, so left it embedded in her head when the police showed up. In the back of the room of her house, they found two items what they thought must have been left by the killer mm-hmm. as, like, a calling card. Okay. So, and I'm going to get into that. So, the Schulenburg newspaper article wrote that this crime... um, He left a toy train, which is... Fucked right. up. Right? And he also had... Which, later defined, the toy train was her grandchild's toy. Which is just eerie to think. Like, her grandchild plays with this toy. He grabs it from the closet puts it out and he also cut out a piece of his article from the newspaper (gasps) and laid it right next to it so he's like about
1: the couple maybe no about him well i know but killing the couple
0: yeah like the murders that this random person has done so he's like basically at this point giving clues like he feels so confident that he could just you know keep going and going and going idiot yeah so um People that knew Josephine said that she was the sweetest, dearest, little old lady. They said if you, mention, if you look up little old lady, sweet little old lady in Google, her picture would pop up. Not literally, but you know, you think of that cute little lady. Um, her neighbor said that she would not hurt a fly. Um, so horrible. So within 20 or 36 hours of killing Josephine, he went back to Houston and he killed again. He was on a roll. On June 4th, 1999, he broke into a duplex near the railroad in Houston and found Noemi, Noemi Dominguez. Naomi? No, Noemi. Oh. Wait, what did you say?
1: Naomi. No,
0: I thought it was that. It's Noemi Dominguez. Noemi. N o e m i. N-O-E-M-I. N o e m i. N o e m i. Sorry. That's Naomi. Noemi. No, it's not. I looked it up. Noemi Dominguez, who was 26 years old and she was asleep in her bed. Oh, 26. 26. Yeah, so she's like one of the younger ones, besides from Chris and Holly. Um, Noemi was a teacher at Benjamin Franklin Elementary School, Mm -hmm. and she was pursuing a master's degree in education. Oh, my God. He snuck into her apartment, raped her, killed her with a pickaxe. I know what that is now. Yeah. Pickaxe in her bed, covered her with a blanket, and stole her car, and drove off two hours west. But side note, um, so eventually the elementary school that she worked at at the time was like rebuilt, and they renamed it Noemi Dominguez Elementary School, and it was the first local school in Houston to be named after a Mexican American. So, oh my god! I know. Wait, where is it? Here in Houston.
1: Well, I know you just said that. I don't know. Oh, I'm I don't know think. which
0: area because Houston's huge, but yeah. we'll look it up. But somewhere. Oh. Um. Which I thought was, like, amazing. Like, her... She, and apparently, she was super, super passionate about, you know, teaching. She loved children. So, you know, her legacy went on, which I thought was beautiful. I
1: mean, all of these people seem like they gave something back. Oh, my God. All of them. But he somehow... What was the word you kept using? They radiated evil. Oh, and I'm yeah, like, but right. not.
0: <laughs> but not. So, after he killed her, of course, he drove for a little bit and then jumped... Left her car and jumped on a train and went back to Mexico six days after that according to julieta he made a phone call at home and or he got a phone call at home while uh-huh. he was in mexico and he was super upset he was stressed out he was pacing back and forth something had clearly pissed him off and she was kind of scared to ask because he was like very like volatile at the time uh-huh. um and he looked at her and he was like i have a problem
1: i don't know how to play the banjo
0: right He was like i have a problem i have to get the fuck out of here Oh, uh, yeah, right, because he sold the fucking mandra. No, he's like, I have a fucking... I'm thinking, like, no one knows what the phone call was, but I'm like, maybe someone saw that his... Because at this time, his photo was being blasted all over Texas. Oh. So it's like, maybe somebody... Cause, Wait, how? Because he was tied to that burglary. Remember? They were like, we're going to get him on the burglar, burglary charge. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay, okay, okay.
0: So, um, There's just
1: so much. I like, know. He does so much. Yeah,
0: so... They were, like, maybe his photos were, like, blasted up. Maybe he got a phone call, like, hey, they're looking for you. Which wouldn't warrant him to get your rabbit.
1: He is literally eating his house. Hey, sir.
0: Well, at least it's that. Oh, my God. So, he gets on a train and goes right back to the U.S. On June 15, 1999, he arrived in Gorham, Illinois. Or Illinois. Sorry. You already
1: (laughs) said it once, and I didn't. You always make eyes at me when I correct you.
0: And he broke into the home, which was only 100 yards away from the railroad track, of George Moyner, who was 80 years old. This is a horrible one. So, according to an article in The Eagle, George was a retired prison guard and an army vet. Like, he had been through it. And apparently he loved to, like, sit down and tell stories of, like, what he's been through. Mm -hmm. And he was proud Um, He loved to fish, and he had, like, a little pond next to his trailer that he would Mm. go and fish at. Um, He was happy. He lived only a few houses down from his daughter, Caroline Frederick, who was 51. And George was known to give food to anyone who hopped off of the train who was wandering on his property. Which I'm like, I guess in that time, people did that. I'm not really sure. Isn't this
1: the 90s?
0: Yeah, but he was, like, apparently at that time, like, people would hop off. And this is, like, workers included, like... People would get off and be like, "Hey, like, you know, do you want a sandwich?" And I'm this is not a direct quote from him, but they said like he was very compassionate on the people that came off the train. Okay. Um, Trusting. So he had a very, very, very long driveway. And Angel walked down the whole thing. When Angel got down to the end, he climbed through a window and waited for George, who he just saw George get into his car and drive away. Oh. So he's in the house while George left. Shortly oh after. God, he's
1: waiting for him. Yeah.
0: So shortly after George came back with the morning paper, which Stuff. I know that's sad, but It's like you just think of like a little old grandpa, like reading the morning paper with his coffee.
1: Well, he's just doing his normal routine. So right. he's really going to be surprised.
0: Yeah. And Angel Rosinda said right when in his confessions, he said right when George walked in the door, he immediately attacked him. He <sighs> ambushed him, attacked him. He tied George to a chair and he mentioned that George is very weak and shot him in the back of the head with his own shotgun. So killed him, but um, Angel still stayed in the house for a little bit. He was eating his food, snooping around the place, getting what he needed. Well his daughter Caroline came by to help her father clean. She did this every single day. She would come and just help help her father because he wasn't able to like get around and they would visit and have coffee and do whatever. Right when she walked in, he attacked her as well. He hit her upside the head with a shotgun, sexually assaulted her, and beat her to death with a shotgun. The police said it was so brutal that the shotgun broke into two pieces right in half. Yeah.
1: He does a lot of this stuff, like, cowardly. Like, Mm -hmm. shooting you in the back of the head, beating you in the back of the head. Right. Yeah. Right.
0: So, he then ate some of their food, went into the fridge and he left in Caroline's truck, later abandoning it um, and going back to Mexico. And it was poor Caroline's husband who came across the scene and called police. Um, Texas officer Drew Carter said, what makes this so, this is a quote, what makes this so scary is that the victims were in their own beds behind their own locked doors. Every one of these victims is like an average citizen and therefore the average citizen could view themselves as a victim. This guy is yeah. the literal definition of a boogeyman. Ew. So, because of the toy train that was left out at Josephine's house, they figured he was using a railroad to get a, a railroad to get around. So, investigators started stopping trains and searching them at random. It was a multi-agency situation, and they named it <laughs> Operation Train Stop. Which I'm like, okay, how clever. Oh my clever. god, and that
1: probably cost a lot of money.
0: Well, I'm like, how clever. <laughs> June twenty first, he was put on the FBI's ten most wanted list. (laughs) Oh my god! Your what is your rabbit eating? What is that?
1: Trying to get you to look. He's fucking eating my tissue.
0: Oh my god! So sorry. The rabbit has is literally wrapping her bed with tissue paper. I hate him so much. Okay,
1: sorry. Sorry
0: about that. Um. So. Oh my god. Okay, so this is when they actually found his half sister uh, that lived in uh, New Mexico. Her name was Emanuela. Okay. And she was contacted in New Mexico by Drew Carter. So, the same one that just gave that speech. Yes. So, he wanted to speak with her, but at first she was not cooperative at all. So, she basically told him she didn't want, she didn't know anything about it. She didn't want to speak to leave her alone. But he was like, listen, let's strike a deal. Please help me out. So she ended up talking and she agreed that her brother, when she, you know, links the two, that he needs to get treated humanely and that he needs to get some psych treatment. And Carter was like, yeah, of course, we'll do that. Yada, (laughs) yada, yada. So that's what she wanted. So they had a deal. So Emanuela wanted it in writing. He wrote it and she wanted that promise. So she went to go get him. To turn him in. July 13th, after Emanuela convinced him, he drove right over the bridge and turned himself in. Just like that. Boom! Like what? It took a single conversation, he drove right over the bridge. He's to... been
1: doing this for years. Right.
0: So he was immediately charged with capital murder for Claudia Benton, and he was uh, immediately linked to all the other murders.
1: Because of DNA, right? Yeah. And fingerprints. Yep. Yeah.
0: So there was his uh there his palm print was matched and his prints. Uh, now linked to Leafy Mason's as well. Oh, Lee and Lee. also the nine other ones that were left on his, that they were- Fanny and- Fanny and all this, this, Josephine and all them.
1: Okay. They what had about also... Wendy? Well, obviously, because yeah. you already talked about her.
0: Yeah, so they also found stolen items from the victims in his home in Mexico. And he was actually like pawning them off and selling them. Like a lot of the jewelry, the ivory, remember that Claudia Benton had? He was selling them out. Mm-hmm. Um, and his family in Mexico was stunned. Like, they thought, again, that he was loving, that he was a calm, caring man, despite, like, his crazy speeches. Like, they were, like, his demeanor was, you know, nice. So, on May 7th, 2000, he took the stand uh, on the Claudia Benton trial and claimed, not guilty by reason of insanity. Duh.
1: Did he do both, like, Sylvia or Gertrude?
0: That was, like, the first one, the Benton case. Oh, Um, yeah. Oh, yeah, you're saying, like, yes, of course. And he told the jury that he was half man and half angel what? and that he was sent here to cleanse the world of those that God deemed lesser. So the defense claimed that he was schizophrenic, okay. but psychologists testified that he was not insane or schizophrenic, but huh. he definitely had personality disorders, okay. which, which was likely caused by the head trauma that he received when he was little. Remember they they when, didn't
1: know like what kind of disorders
0: personality disorder. No, I mean I don't know the specifics oh. of it, but there was like there's something going on with the personality. But they said in writing he's not insane, he's not schizophrenic. Okay. Um. So they tied the personality to the head trauma that he received. Remember when okay. he was three in three or three was it three minutes and three days? <laughs> yeah, or three months.
1: Three minutes, three years. Years. Eleven years. And
0: six years.
1: Oh, my God. The so, report.
0: throughout the trial, he claimed that he killed because God told him that the devil took over and that it, he was not to be blamed. The devil just did it. But FBI crime analyst Alan Brantley testified that the killer's attacks were eroticized violence intended to punish his victims. Drew Carter, remember the Texas Ranger, mm-hmm. the one who arranged the surrender, right. took the stand and he said he was a walking, breathing form of evil the detective who was at Claudia Benson's scene, Ken Macha, said what happened there was out of this world. He stated, he said, I've been to suicides. I've been to gunshot suicides. I've been to murders. But never in my life have I seen what I just saw. I never imagined that a human being was capable of doing something just like this.
1: Her face was caved in, right? Yeah. By that huge statue. Yep.
0: So George Benton, who was Claudia's husband, took the stand and he said... Uh-huh. Very simply, and he said it really good. I mean, what are you to say? Your wife's done. Or your wife's dead? He said, you know, Angel had a gift of taking some of the best people out of this world.
1: That's really what it was.
0: Yeah, because yeah, Leafy, grape, you know, would visit her. Like, all these people really were given back to the community. The Reverend, Leafy, was caring for her, you know, her elderly sisters. The two engaged couples. Claudio, a doctor at Baylor College of Medicine. He literally... Somehow, we're targeting some of the best people of society. Well, you
1: said he, like, would watch them, right? Yeah, through their
0: window. Mm -hmm. Um, So on May 18, 2000, he was found guilty of all counts, obviously. And then in May 2003, his conviction and sentence were upheld in the Court of Appeals. But Mm -hmm. obviously, all the other appeals failed. He told the judge that he wanted the death penalty, which, like, I'm like, okay, if you tell the judge that, I would give you the opposite. If you want the death penalty, no, you're getting life. Um, but he was sentenced to death by a lethal injection. He did actually confess in his last days to more murders, and to this day he's now linked to fifteen so far that they can actually confirm, but it said it's closer to around twenty-six that they okay. think. Um he also mentioned that there were two murders that he would never ever 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 talk about until his last breath.
1: They were probably children.
0: Mm-hmm. Or something like maybe somebody had well, I'll get into that. So they oh. also... Well, I'm getting to it now. So they also think that there, he could be connected to a lot of murders in Mexico for... Because um, a period of time, there were so many bodies left near railroad tracks during the time, but they were never able to be identified or confirmed. So I'm thinking, okay, well, maybe it's like somebody of stature in Mexico. Um, I don't know. But there was two that he said, he totally took his last breath, that he would never, ever, ever speak about. So on June 26, 2006... Or, I'm sorry, June 27th, 2006 was the day he was executed in Huntsville. Oh, yeah. Huntsville Unit. Yep. He walked in and chanted, forgive me, Lord, over and over and over again. Now, keep in mind, all oh, the family Lord. and friends of the victims were there. And he had his last words. And this is what he wrote. Or this is what he said. I want to ask you if it is in your heart to forgive me. You do not have to. I, unfortunately, allowed the devil to rule my life. I just ask for you to forgive me and the Lord to forgive me for allowing the devil to deceive me. I thank God for having so much patience with me. I do not deserve to cause you pain, and you do not deserve this at all. I deserve what I'm getting. Shortly after, he was pronounced dead at 8 5 p.m., like I said, in Huntsville Prison, and he was 46 years old. Which I'm like, in my head, 46? I was thinking this guy was like kind of withered, but he was kind of like a young and I mean, think
1: about like hopping on railroads and stuff, like real, yeah. Ch- like,
0: yeah, and like the whole time, like I mentioned, like unfortunately, that's like the last, like known because they weren't able to tie him to any of the cases in Mexico. But like even his girlfriend Julieta uh-huh. did not know any of this, and she's oh, my God. was like, "What?" I mean, now she has to take care of that their daughter by herself. But again, she had no idea that the shit was happening. And, like, to this day, she's, like, dumbfounded.
1: That's... I just love how he's, like... He's, like, giving them permission to forgive him. It's, like,
0: that's not... (laughs) Right. And he's, like, I allowed the devil to do this. Please forgive me because, you know, playing it off on somebody else. It's a narcissist. He's a poo-poo stain. That
1: is... I just can't get, everything was, like, to the face on these people, and that's what's, that's rough.
0: Well, I know, and it's like, when you're sleeping in your bed, your most vulnerable state lights off by yourself. Yeah, it's
1: like the Golden State Killer.
0: Yeah, and it's, like, like good for Claudia Benson to, like, wake up and, like, that is so hard to wake up from a sleep, fight this person off. Insane, no. but unfortunately, like I said earlier, Holly Dunn is the only known person to be able to escape.
1: I wonder, did she go to the tri- She didn't go to the trial. Did she know. have to testify? Probably bit, not. But no, I don't
0: Probably so. not. Um, but yeah, that is the case of Angel Resendez, who's not the angel. He's more of the demon, but he's better known as mm. the railroad killer.
1: I just, I can't get over the... The elderly man that he shot with a shotgun oh in the Oh, my God, of that. I know.
0: Yep.
1: Because then the Entite daughter about. walked in.
0: Yep. To help him clean.
1: Which, like, he lived in a trailer, so it was probably a smaller mm-hmm. area. Yeah. So she saw it, but probably couldn't even register, like, that's my dad.
0: No, because he stayed in there. And a lot of articles that I read said that he had some inkling that he had a daughter that was alive. Because there was a lot of pictures of her and the family around. So he felt like, okay... You know, this is a tight-knit family. Maybe more people will come. And, like, in the process of him, like, looking through the house. Because he ransacked all of these houses. Um, She came in. And, unfortunately, he got her. Oh, my God. So, I think the next one's... I think Can we do spooky? I, I'm going to do spooky. Spooky, spooky. Ooky, oh, my ooky.
1: God. And then I'm going to have to be here by myself. And he chewed two holes in my duvet.
0: No. Okay, so... Every episode we talk about this damn rabbit. (laughs) We're going to have to upload a photo of him. He is horrible. He'll sleep all day. And the minute we start talking about this podcast goes haywire.
1: He was fine during mine. It's whenever yours is. I
0: think because I'm loud. I don't
1: know. Or he loves me. He doesn't love me.
0: Yeah. All right, guys. Thank you. Another episode. Rate, review. Rate, review, subscribe, Patreon. Patreon, Instagram, Misery Manor, Podcast bitch love y'all wait
1: gmail
0: what Miser- oh misery manor podcast at gmail.com Some of your stories suggestions anything suggestions, you want suggestions yeah anything
1: anything you don't really want to research but you want us to research for you we'll do it maybe
0: this is a long one so
1: thank you oh yeah we only have a few more seconds bye bye you are not going on for 19 months.